all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 349 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Swedish Parliament episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that since 1976, the number of seats in the Swedish Parliament just so happens to be 300. 49. And with that wonderful little bit of Swedish Parliament knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim, the not very Swedish Tim. I, I was envisioning all 349 of those Parliament seats, so Swedish Parliament seats, uh, being filled with the buttocks of 349 Swedish Parliament members. And I'm just... Hearing their voices, their very Swedish voices, calmly but effectively debating all at the same time. But the sounds remind me very much of the Swedish chef from The Muppets. Is that considered ignorant, possibly? No, I think it would be stereotypical. I don't know. See, for me, I think of all 349 Swedish people in the parliament being people who work at Ikea, and they vote yay with Swedish fish and nay with the meatballs. Oh, but at Ikea, you want them to vote nay with the meatballs. (laughs) Because you want the opportunity to take the meatball away from their nay. Yeah, see, I mean... I don't know. I think I think we can at least lean into the European stereotypes on that one. I think if anything, it would be cutesy. I think it would be cutesy uh, in much the same way that Swedish people would think of 349 Americans as people waving guns, wearing cowboy hats, and just eating a lot of food. Ah, so you mean factually... Right on the mark for the most oh, part. Oh, so then, so then they do work for IKEA and Sweden. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that should be the episode title right there. <laughs> or yeah, the right Swedish there. people Just... work for. <laughs> Does the Swedish Parliament work for IKEA? There's an episode for you. Uh, I don't know. Gosh. Good stuff. That, but between that and yes, asking the questions, asking the important questions about the Swedish chef from Muppets. That's, hmm. Anyway, so all's well in your world there, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought a bed. A Ooh, brand new bed. Well, actually, me kind? and the wife bought a bed together. Ooh. I didn't buy a separate bed for myself. Well, that's. That's good to know. I'm glad things are progressing nicely in the marriage instead of the other way. Uh, did you get a special brand like Purple or Tempur-Pedic or, uh, I don't know, or did you get, you know, just a bed because you wanted a bed? Yeah, I got a Serta. Okay. Very nice. Did you a get, uh, did, did you get the whole California King thing going on or what? Well, uh, what many don't know, uh, the differences between a California king and a standard king, a California king is longer, and a, cal- and a regular king, a standard East Coast king, apparently that's what they called an East Coast mm-hmm. king, is wider. wider. Yes, so, wider. Uh, I mean, I'm tall, but I'm not that tall, and I definitely need, I, I need to create that boundary in between me and the wife. Because sometimes if I roll over, I really want to hug something soft and cushy, and the wife does not want me to do that because I give off, I radiate a lot of heat. Sure. And she radiates a lot of heat. So to say, I, I'd re- I want to do that with a body pillow. So effectively, a California or a king, a standard East Coast king, sure. um, fits the bill. Yes, we have the we have a king size bed as well. Uh, ours is a sleep number, and so it does wonders in creating a special zone for each of us, and so we don't have to worry about the uh, inadvertent cuddling unless we want to cuddle. 
Which is good, because there are times, you know, when you do want to cuddle. But like the two of you, we also give off a <laughs> oh, lot I get of heat. There are times. Well, no, there are. Because like the two of you, we give off a lot of heat. So sometimes it's just kind of like, oh, no, it's too hot. It's too hot. And so you have your own nice, big, luxurious area of your of your mattress to sleep on. And it's, you know, it works just for you. It's got your level of softness. So, or firmness, and for instance, my wife sleeps on a bed of iron, like I'm pretty sure that she doesn't have a setting of 100 on her side of the sleep number bed, it's literally iron, Um, it's pretty funny, you watch the dog get up on the bed, and he'll, if I'm on my side of the bed, he'll get on her side of the bed for about 20 seconds and then just get off the bed. <laughs> the dog would rather lay on the hardwood floor the or the tile than lay on the floor or on the couch than on her side of the bed. Now, if the role is reversed, if my wife is on her side of the bed, yeah, you can't move the dog out of my side of the bed. And the, and the kids are all the same way. How come mom's bed is so hard and your bed is so soft? Because I am a human being who understands the value of sleep, whereas my wife doesn't. Uh, And so, yeah, it's craziness. Although it is pretty funny on its own because some, like, I'll get up and of course my bed's so, my side of the bed is so soft because I keep mine at like a 45-ish, you know, like definitely in the mid to softer range. So (laughs) the girls will be on my wife's side of the bed and it's almost like just landing in a, in a stunt shoot, you know, like when they jump off the building and land in the, in the mat. It's kind of like that. They just kind of funk and they fall into the side. They just sink into the bed. They really do. It's pretty funny. So anyway, yeah. So and and how long had you kept your previous mattress before you finally pulled the trigger on the Serta? Oh, she's gonna kill me if I admit this. Well, it's her bed, and she's had it since she was thirteen years old. Thirteen. Even the the guys. So that if delivered... I remember that, it, okay, I I don't want to get too much trouble. So you can bleep this if needed. So that's about fifteen years. Is that right? Uh, no. Um, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, 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 eighteen. Eighteen years. Oh, okay. Well, good. See, I was off on her age by three years. That's good. Okay. <laughs> but Good. even even the people, even the men that were delivering our bed, our new bed, didn't want to pick up our old mattresses in box spring. They were like, <laughs> oh, uh, this is it? Yeah. Sorry, man. We don't have any room on the truck. It's like, but how, you can just replace it with, but yeah, but you know, you're know, you actually the first stop of the day, and we need room to move around the truck. Oh, uh, Okay. Can we reschedule to come pick this up, like, uh, in two weeks? I will say this, is that with the sleep number beds, they're actually, uh, or at least they were, I I guess they still are, they actually come with a 20-year warranty on them. So, we still have about four years before our warranty's out, and we need to go replace it. And it still works, just like the day you bought it. Yes, it really does. We have, now, I will say this, in a move, in a move, not because of defects of workmanship or anything else, in a move, one of the hoses that goes into the pump, uh, cracked at the fitting, and it was because it's totally, it was totally my fault. I was being lazy and didn't want to do it right. So, we did have to get a new pump, um, but because of the warranty, they prorated all that stuff, so it was like 200 bucks. And it was like 13 years in when that happened, because it was like two years ago, two or three mm-hmm. years ago. So, yeah, it's been great. So I'm sure all of you who turned in to listen to our take on Rambo, um, <laughs> I'm so that's glad the we SLS, started the Rambo episodes off with talking about beds. That's right. The SLS, the uh, Serta line sleep number series. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You may count sheep in trying to fall asleep. We count all the listeners that are 
not listening to us anymore. <laughs> and that's what puts us to sleep for good. <laughs> the never haves. The never haves. All right, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I had a really good idea, and I meant to talk about talk to you about this in the pre-show. We're just going to talk about it on the show right quick before we get started, because why not one more detour? I thought something that would have been absolutely hilarious for us to do. You know how on Conan, when um, the Paul barbarian Rudd, or O'Brien? No, no, I'm sorry, Conan O'Brien, the, okay. the the Coco, right, Team Coco. Every time Paul Rudd would come on. He would have a, a a scene from his new movie, whatever he was promoting, and he would always, you know, goad uh, Conan into playing it, even though after the first, after like the third time, and this happens over years and years after. So, like for years, it's always the same scene from Mac and Me. Are you familiar with this bit where the kid no. goes over, where the kid goes over the cliff in the wheelchair? Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay. So what I thought we could do. <laughs> and not say anything just not say anything was instead of every time we would break for a trailer <laughs> we would put the weird al scene from uhf <laughs> in in as the trailer and just not say anything and then just carry on you know doing our reviews for the rambo series just to see what it <laughs> just to see what people would do there's a flaw <laughs> In, in this, Matt, because what? if we were to regularly receive feedback, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that would work. Because maybe somebody like, oh, hey, you know, just so you know, there were no trailers for. But, you know, we there's no way for us to gauge whether or not people find it funny or decided to listen to us for the first time and then quit. <laughs> because like yeah i get it because then they would be like who the hell are these people they don't even know how to put a trailer in no i get it i just really thought it would be great because like if we didn't say anything and we just carried on people were like wait a minute because weird al does the i'm your worst nightmare thing so well that you'd almost suspect like hang on is is this the actual trailer or not okay so in case y'all haven't figured out folks or folk. We're doing the Rambo series, uh, because we're leading up to Rambo Last Blood. And so we wanted to do the lead in. So we're going to do the first three Rambo movies this time. And I guess if we're going to officially do it, then we should officially do it. Right, Tim? I'm your worst nightmare. So then, here we go, folks. It's... The movie we And this time we start with the first three movies, so we're going to be doing them in chronological order, as we should. So we've got 1982's First Blood, we'll have 1985's Rambo, First Blood Part 2, and finally we'll have 1988's Rambo 3. Next week, we will be doing 2008's Rambo, and then of course, 2019's Rambo Last Blood. And without further ado, First Blood. John Rambo, a drifter, just passing through their town. Morning! Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction. Huh? You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. I want you to book this gentleman for vagrancy, resisting arrest, carrying a concealed weapon. They knew he was innocent. I'm starting to dislike you. A lot. And they didn't give a damn. That's okay, Warren. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just save him. Crack. Don't move. I don't want you to cut your own throat. John Rambo. One man who's been pushed too far. You're finished! You've gone as far as you're gonna go! straight for the top. Right on top of him. There's no way out of here except through us. He was hunted. Trapped. There he is! On the cliff! And forced 
to fight back. Don't push it. Don't push it, I'll give you a war you won't believe. Teasel, you and all your men couldn't handle him before. Now, what makes you think you can handle him now? Because God knows what damage he's prepared to do. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that money, don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. Sylvester Stallone. This time, he's fighting for his life. First Blood. 1982 American action film. It's directed by Ted Kotcheff. Uh, and it is... Uh, stars, I guess we should say. Sylvester Stallone, Richard Crenna, and Brian Dennehy. And then, uh, what we have here is John Rambo, who is basically wandering the the U.S. by foot, uh, just kind of living a drifter's life, not hurting anybody, but definitely not necessarily on the grid, as we would say. Goes to visit a friend of his, and unfortunately this friend that he went to go visit has passed away from Agent Orange. And you kind of start to see, even within the first few minutes, the cycle that the movie is providing for you, which is... A huge, it's, I mean, ultimately, obviously, it's an action film, but it is also a massive, massive critique of how we have treated up to this time, and maybe to a certain degree beyond this time, how we've treated our Vietnam vets. So, his buddies died of Agent Orange, and so with nothing more to do, he just kind of goes into this other town, uh, Hope, Washington, if I remember correctly. And there he is picked up almost immediately by the local sheriff, played by Brian Dennehy. Um, Dennehy makes it pretty clear that, um, or Sheriff Teasel, I guess, makes it pretty clear that Rambo's not welcome. Rambo, being like, you have no right to push me around or tell me what to do, decides, eh, well, I'll show you, and comes back. He then gets promptly arrested, and he is mistreated while he is in the custody, and the mistreatment triggers flashbacks, PTSD, and there's the movie. Um, shenanigans ensue, etc., etc. Now... What I thoroughly enjoyed about this film is not necessarily the action for action's sake, but actually watching what we would look at and was parodied later on and built onto in such ridiculous amounts, even to some degree by its, by this franchise, the super soldier in the making. You've got a guy who is special forces. He understands survival. He is not afraid to take down large amounts of people in guerrilla warfare. And because he is on his own, he has no one to rely on, which makes him amazing because he doesn't have to worry about other people. He doesn't have to depend on whether or not he's got his recon in check because he is it. So if he thinks he's got a chance, he takes it. You're seeing the ineptitude of the National Guard. You're seeing the, um, the hubris, not just arrogance, but the hubris of small town law enforcement. And you're seeing it all wrapped in the veneer of, we didn't take care of our own. So that along with some just absolutely amazing makeup effects. And I was trying to look it up. Tim, do you happen to recall, because I'm sitting here trying to remember, um, the the part where he uh, has to sew up his arm and it's bleeding out? Yes. Didn't that win, like, or wasn't that nominated for an Oscar for makeup or effects? Because that had never been done before. I mean, and not only had it never been done before, I mean, it looked so real. And it was one of those just amazing things. Everything kind of came together for it. But did they not? I thought that, like, got an award or something. 
No, First Blood did not win any Oscar. Uh, but I think either First Blood Part 2 or Rambo 3 got a sound effects editing Oscar. But yeah, but yeah surprisingly, nothing for uh, First Blood. Wow. And so this was, a, uh, this is, by the way, the screenplay itself is co-written uh, by Michael Kozel, William Sackheim, and Sylvester Stallone. Once again, showing that he's got some writing chops, uh, whether or not we want to admit that anymore. So I think it's just very, very well put together. I think that it is, um, it's got a message, it has great action, and it, though it is an 80s action movie by virtue of being in the 80s, I think that they were smart in... Aside from a few stunts, especially, you know, jumping off the cliff, aside from a few stunts that are there for the movie magic, you get a sense that this guy is for real, like this could happen. And I think that's kind of the magic of First Blood. That, and again, that veneer of kind of owning up as a society here in the United States that we didn't take care of our own. The biggest flaw for me in this film, though, is that despite all of the things that it has going for it. I don't necessarily think that it gets too preachy per se, but I think that the techniques of the time that led into such great movie making, and it's not even a matter of it hasn't aged well because I grew up with this stuff. I just think that the techniques that are there have always been really, really good but they've not ever been amazing. And I think it does go to the, for lack of a better term, to the age of the film, given what we have been able to do with amazing, with great groundbreaking filmmaking today. And even in the intervening 36 years, 37 years. So, I'm, I mean, I'm good with saying, for me, this is a solid four. Always has been. I have always really liked this movie. I have always thought that the movie was good. But it, and, and a great film, but just a true five-star movie doesn't quite make the cut on that. So I'm happy giving it a four. Tim, what do you think, sir? So, of course, First Blood is directed by Ted Kotcheff. He is known for directing a lot of TV, uh, but especially Weekend at Bernie's. Yes, going from 1982's First Blood to 1989's Weekend at Bernie's. I thought that was pretty interesting. And of course, it's based on the novel written by David Morrell. What I also wanted to point out before going into my thoughts on the film itself, that the character of John Rambo changed drastically from what he is in the book. In the book, Rambo is actually a full psychotic, cold-blooded killer who just kills everyone whom he comes into contact with, especially when he's out in the woods uh, on the run. If you remember in the movie, he runs into a kid who I guess is in the woods hunting with his father or something. He kills the kid. The cops, he kills the cops. When they were developing the film, Sylvester Stallone really wanted to make the character not necessarily as a role model for those suffering from PTSD or other various mental issues, but he wanted the character to be a sign of hope for those affected by mental illnesses to show that they can change for the better. And I thought that was very interesting because, yes, once the story, once the plot gets set into motion and... Rambo keeps being screwed over despite sparing the lives of everybody who he comes into contact with other than those who he has to kill to survive. Um, you know, he really doesn't fully lose his shit until the end of the movie. And for me, that's when the film loses its footing is when he has that machine gun or whatever that gun is after he blew up the truck you know, by the fire station, and he's shooting up all the, the, the storefronts and the shops and the buildings and the town with little to no regard for the possibility of any civilians being inside of those buildings. 
Because if there were, more than likely they're all going to be dead. I mean, he goes full psycho there at the end. But yet, he's not really portrayed as being full psycho. There's almost kind of a disconnect in the script in the characterization of movie John Rambo. Because, yes, he doesn't want to die, yet he's willing to kill to save himself to an extent. But then at the end of the movie, he's willing to completely destroy a town to basically make his presence known while taunting Brian Dennehy's Sheriff Teasel. Is it pronounced Teasel? Is that his name? Yeah, I thought it was it Teasel or Teasel. I thought it was Teasel. Teasel, yeah. But I wanted to ask you, Matt, did that bug you at all? I mean, I know, again, you didn't like the movie. uh, You didn't think the movie was absolutely perfect, but it just felt there was a little bit of a disconnect with the character that they forgot. You know, like, yeah, okay, so in the book, cold-blooded killer, full psychotic, there's a little bit more nuance and a bit of layers of hope in the film, but then at the end of the movie, they just resorted back to the book. It seems like, obviously, they don't fully. Yes and no. I think that... I don't think the the, the plan for the film was to take the psychotic nature out of Rambo but to plausibly give him a reason to fully snap. And that's what they did. And and they just kept, instead of, you know, giving him a chance to back down, instead of giving him a chance, they kept amping him up and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him until finally by the end of the movie they broke him. And so he becomes broken again. And so he does go insane, but at the same time, I think you feel for him. And I think that was done intentionally because... And it's going to be a recurring theme, and maybe it's just me personally reading into Sylvester Sloan a little bit. I think Sloan felt earnestly that we needed to say something and speak up about the situation over there and how our PO, you know, how our how our POWs had been treated upon return, how Vietnam vets in general had been treated upon return, because people tend to forget that as much as the war itself back then was unpopular we had the draft so these poor guys did not choose the vast vast majority of them did not choose to go over there so they go over there and they become broken by what they see what they witnessed and to and to an extent also what they did and they come back here and not only are they not getting help that they need for the things that happened to them over there, they are despised and they are looked down upon and they are spat upon. And that, I think, is the impetus for the film side. But I think it's important that they show just how far he is capable of going because I don't think they want you to root for him to kill everybody, they want you to root for him to win. They want you to root for him to survive. And I think it's important that in the finale, he breaks. And he does, you know. So it literally takes uh, Troutnam saying, you will stand down or I will shoot you, for him to finally stop. And then he breaks down and gives his speech, you know, I just want them to love me. I just want them to take, to appreciate what we did. You know, all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> you do know that there is a deleted scene where Rambo does die. Easily, we could have not had these crazy, outrageously over-the-top machismo sequels. Four sequels now. I did really like the dynamic between Rambo and Tiesel, Brian Dennehy's character, though. You know, it makes for great character dynamics it's a good guy who's not really that good i shouldn't say that he's not really that good uh he's flawed but he's flawed in a way to where you can't hold it against him he is suffering from ptsd he is not receiving the respect in his, on his home turf but then tiesel himself is a korean war veteran during this time The Korean War veterans were the long-lost, forgotten veterans. And he is kind of 
jealous of all the attention that the Vietnam vets are receiving. So that's one of the reasons why he just hates John Rambo so much is because of the jealousy he has for being an attention hog <laughs> is pretty much what it comes down to. And that's just what fuels Tiesel's rage because he doesn't really want to. I mean, at first he wants to bring John Rambo into jail only because Rambo's going to get screwed over quickly as the movie progresses. You can just tell that he just wants he wants to kill him. But he's still not that awful of a human being, which is why you hope he changes for good after the effects of the finale. As for the action that makes up the film and the setting, I absolutely loved, loved the pacing of the action and the choreography, like the whole chase scene with the cops chasing Rambo, who's on the, the motorcycle that he steals, going through the small town on those super icy, slick streets. You know, the environment is what really sells the scene because they don't really have any music playing at all. All you hear are the natural sounds and the motorcycle and the car and the car sliding on the ice, the crunching of the ice, the chasing through the woods and the vignette with Rambo picking the cops off one by one, that cold and dreary looking West Coast forest. You know, it's just so cool. And on top of it all, the film was a low budget flick. And they actually shot in the elements and used the environment's natural light. They were actually having to bring the crew up these slick, icy, muddy hills to get deep into this forest. Therefore, they couldn't be lugging around all of these huge-ass lights everywhere they went, so they had to rely on the lighting. That's why a lot of things are lit from behind and people are cast in shadows. It adds that aspect of realism the film would not have been able to accomplish if it had that studio big budget look that, say, first uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2 or Rambo 3 has. And Matt, please do correct me here. It seems like Rambo is one of the first movie characters whom actually lives up to what others say about him, you know, that he's one to be feared. He's a badass killer. Oh man, that's, that's John Rambo. You don't want to mess with John Rambo. He'll come after you. He is the creature that goes bump in the night. Well, I think in this vein, yeah, I mean, I think in this vein, especially considering that <clears throat> we're still, we're still a little bit away from uh, Schwarzenegger breaking out and getting into the big roles and everything. We're still... Yeah, it's um, two years before Terminator. Yeah, and we're years out from... You know, we're still a decade out from seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme and the like, uh, from Steven Seagal. We are still... Even for the everyday man, we're still um, a few years away, what, about four to five years away from Bruce Willis... And Die Hard. So, yeah, I mean, in this particular vein, in the action vein, this is kind of the first time you're seeing this. And this is also kind of breaking away from the 70s style of filmmaking as well. I think you can still see some of those sensibilities carrying over, but... Like the atrocious in-credit song? <laughs> the long highway, the, the lost highway, or... Exactly. It's a long road or whatever. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would concur with you on that, sir. But yeah, I thought it was a great film. I give it a 4.5 out of 5. It's very entertaining. I remember watching this for the first time as a kid, and I actually enjoyed the, you know, part two and part three uh, more so than, than part one. And I think it's because I didn't understand what the movie was trying to go for character-wise. And since then, I've learned about Vietnam. I studied Vietnam and politics and society in the U.S. during the 60s and 70s. But one more thing to note, one of the reasons why the project landed in Sylvester Stallone's lap is because nobody wanted to star or even make First Blood. And 
Sylvester Stallone wasn't even convinced that he was going to make the film until he showed up on location. You know, people were turned off by the idea of Americans killing Americans. And again, this all goes back to the denial civilians were in during this time, which led to mistreatment of, uh, of, of our veterans. It's a layered film, you know, regardless who you are, it's hard not to like. It's a great blend of action and drama. Well, all right then. So, moving on from First Blood, which, by the way, had a budget of approximately $15 million and made $125.2 million, you can then see why, in 1985, we had Rambo First Blood Part 2. Joined Army 6 June 69. Accepted Special Forces. Helicopter and language qualified. Expert in light weapons and guerrilla warfare. Sylvester Stallone is back as Rambo. Rambo's the best combat vet I've ever seen. His mission, to locate American POWs in Vietnam. Think you'll find someone? POWs? Doubtful. His orders, not to engage the enemy. He's got 36 hours to complete the mission and reach the extraction point. We're going down! You're not going anywhere. I'm telling you to abort. Double-crossed and left behind enemy lines. You're the one who's making the mistake. Yeah, what mistake? Rambo. And now, he's getting out any way he can. Rambo, what most people call hell, he calls home. No man, no law, no war can stop him. Sylvester Stallone is back as Rambo. First Blood, Part 2. This one here is directed by George P. Cosmatos, uh, also still with a screenplay by James Cameron and Sylvester Stallone. That's right, the James Cameron and Sylvester Stallone. Uh, this one here stars Sylvester Stallone, Richard Crenna, Charles Napier, and Stephen Burkoff. We are now three years into his sentence, um, and uh, Colonel Troutman comes to visit John Rambo and tell him, look... Vietnam's over, but we've got some people making noise about possible POWs. We need someone who would be willing to go in very high risk and go see if they're there. Um, it's, it is recon only. We're coming back to get them if they are there. If you're willing to do it, we'll give you a pardon. Rambo's like, okay. That seems pretty cool. I can, I can, I can live with that. So he gets up there. He goes out there. Um, things kind of go sideways on him and he ends up actually not even, not just finding one, but rescuing one, even though he wasn't supposed to. Helicopter comes to pick him up. Troutman is actually on board and the helicopter abandons Rambo with his hostage. Shenanigans ensue. What is Rambo to do? All right, for the record, this one here was not as well received by critics. Audiences still enjoyed it. $25.5 million, ended up doing $300 million. And uh, so this is in 1985. This was a ton of money. And this was my first Rambo movie growing up. And I went back and watched Rambo, uh, First Blood, and then eventually probably... I don't know. I want to say mid mid nineties, maybe maybe towards the late nineties. I finally got around to watching Rambo three. Um, and I mean, this movie just kind of made it for me growing up. I was like, man, I want to be like Rambo. Oh, it's so good. But when I look at this movie, 
Here's why I don't like this movie as much. Now, I will just say it is well done. I think it's well shot. I think they definitely amped the action up. They turned it up to 11. <clears throat> but why not just make 10 louder? All right. It's... How do I say this? It basically is rehashing the original. All they've done is changed the locale and given Rambo a new reason to lose his collective crap. So, so bearing that in mind, the only kind of new thing they throw in is a little bit of, you know, we gotta hate the commies kind of thing. So Russia bad you know, USA good. And I think that it really shows, it really shows in the final scene. So Rambo comes back. He still manages to rescue everybody. He manages to, you know, kick the Russians behind. He manages to show those Vietnamese who's who. He comes back, gets his M60, and literally blows up this bureaucrat's office. And then he launches into another speech. And it's kind of like they're just rehashing the ending of First Blood. Only instead of this time, it's like, why don't they love me? Why don't they accept us? It's, there's other people out there. And we got to save them. And we can't leave them behind. We've let them down. Now, again, this is why I say I truly believe that Stallone is earnest about this situation, and I think he's trying to make a political statement through his movies. Fine, I got no problem with that. But the problem, in and of itself, I think the problem is in the delivery. It just feels forced, and it feels completely rehashed. And that's why I don't like it as much. I, um... I think now I still loved it from when I was a kid. I still think it is a fantastic action movie and I think it's the I think it really rides that line as Tim said of the machismo with good filmmaking. I mean it, it does ride that fine line pretty well. Um I think it teeters into the machismo but it doesn't fall off the line so to speak. So I give this one a 3.5 out of 5. Worth watching, especially if you are already into the genre as a whole, but not as strong as the first one. What do you got there, Tim? The action in this film is wonderful. I mean, some of the best helicopter action scenes I have probably ever experienced in a film. It's, I mean, the visualizations, I mean, it's just wonderful. But I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Right off the bat, this film feels completely different. Where First Blood has the feeling of realism, this one is pure 1980s fantasy action with huge set pieces, uh, explosions, and more money was thrown at it. And unlike the first film, I find myself I found myself questioning various things. For instance, why do they cast an obvious Hawaiian American to play the Vietnamese love interest? Does Rambo actually need a love interest? Because this was incredibly cheesy and forced. And his killing montage must be over a long period of time, as he was able to set up all these elaborate Home Alone traps, and is able to muddy and unmuddy himself. What's interesting here is that there is an actually a, a cool shot where uh, one of the Vietnamese uh, guy, uh, guard, or shit, is it Vietnamese or is it the Russian guy? Doesn't matter. Bad guy. One of the bad guys, they're in the forest, look the jungle looking for uh, Rambo. And all of a sudden, this wall of mud, you see Rambo is in there, and he comes out and he stabs the guy to death. This predates Predator, which is very interesting, because Arnold Schwarzenegger does kind of the same thing, and I have never really thought about it until uh, this last viewing uh, predator came out in 1987 two full years after rambo first blood part two 
Just wanted to throw that out there. I was also wondering, how was Rambo able to jump? From being submerged underwater, out of the water, and onto a hovering helicopter. And then at the very end of the film, Rambo unloads his machine gun on all of these computers that are used for government reconnaissance. And then he tells Murdoch, the bad guy, the badish guy, the bad government guy, played by Charles uh, Napier, he tells him to find all those Vietnam vets whom are still in prison behind enemy lines. You find them. He destroyed all of the equipment that would be used to track them down. He shot it all up. I, I just found myself questioning and wondering things because clearly things happen in this film for the sake of either spectacle, ridiculousness, or because it's just one of those pure 1980s machismo fantasy action flicks with huge set pieces and more studio money was thrown at it. Also, the director saw the film as a more visual film and an action film, more than a political statement, like the first film, whereas the director of First Blood saw First Blood as a film from a more intellectual point of view, which is why you got more honest character feelings and emotions. Um, Stallone wrote in the shitty love story. I just would love to read James Cameron's original uh, draft of the script. Matt, do you remember that James Cameron book? Yeah. He briefly talks about it, and I wish I went back and read that little passage. But if I remember correctly, I think he wrote his draft over the script over the course of a weekend. But then Stallone took the script, added in the love story, added in all these bits that I think were probably more so filler than anything else. My next question for you, Matt, was it necessary for Rambo to have a love interest? Because it's obvious they did that just as like the trigger to make him go apeshit. I don't know. I always liked it when I was younger. I won't, I won't lie. I always liked her. Uh, she's played by Julia Nixon, by the way. She was in several other movies. And if I remember correctly... She was also in the, um, see, she was in China Cry. I also thought for some reason that she was in the Pierce Brosnan TV movie Around the World in 80 Days. I don't know. Anyway, but, so I, I always thought that it was an interesting component, but... With grown-up eyes, looking back on it, yeah, I would say it's definitely forced. I think there's enough going on around there and with the plot in and of itself that it didn't need that. But at the same time, I think Stallone is once again trying to give as many roots to humanization for, for Rambo as possible. So that... Again, you take every possible bridge for him to get to his humanity away from him so that you can justify the ending, which, once again, plays into you're just repeating the first movie. Excellent work. <laughs> there are, however, many things I liked about this flick. The cinematography, for instance. Cinematography was done by the legend Jack Cardiff. And Jack Cardiff was the cinematographer for such films as The Red Shoes, Black Narcissus, pretty much the best Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger uh, films. He is one of the main influencers for, I mean, m most cinematographers, you know, post-60s you know, period. I mean, every cinematographer that's working today that you know and love influenced by Jack Cardiff. So why he uh, decided to do a uh, Rambo first blood part two, I don't know, but he did such a good job. <laughs> the movie just looks cool. There's a lot of color to it. And that's what the director really wanted to see was a lot of color. And it was a success. Um, 
Also, Peter McDonald, who would become the director of Rambo 3, was the second unit director of Rambo Part 2, and he shot all the helicopter stuff. And I loved, 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 loved the whole helicopter scenes, uh, all those helicopter scenes during the final act. I, I mean... with all the explosions and the interior helicopter shots and the angles, especially when you have Sylvester Stallone in the cockpit. It's so cool when you can, it gives a cool, uh, you know, um, it adds that really cool realistic depth to a film when you can see the actor actually taking part in something as insane, insanely depthifying as flying around a helicopter and blowing up, you know, a, a, a jungle village. You know, it's like what we see what Tom Cruise is doing now. Um, it's just Tom Cruise takes it to the extreme by the... He would be the one actually piloting the helicopter, whereas next to Sylvester Stallone, there was a pilot. But it's just really cool being able to see the um, the playing field, you know, out the window as he's flying around. And behind him, you see huts blowing up and all these explosions. And you see the rice paddies. The movie was shot in Mexico, so they actually had to uh, plant all the rice paddies. Uh, they uh, were actually growing rice. They had to bring in water buffalo to make it look as authentic to Vietnam as they could. And just seeing it from the POV within the cockpit... Again, it adds that extra depth to the film that really brings you in. This film I do not like as much as the first film, but there is still a lot to like. The action elements are fantastic, which is why I give it a 3.5 out of 5 as well. It's technically awesome. I love the idea. What you can expect from a Rambo film is, especially the first two Rambo films, and I guess especially this Rambo film, is that, um, I mean, they're what? This is the longest of the three so far. This was at an hour and 40 minutes. The other ones were 90 minutes at most. So the story kicks in relatively quick. Therefore, the action kicks in relatively quick. And luckily for this flick, the action kicks in relatively early on and it's actually really good action and especially when he's like storming the 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 prison camp excellent right. use of editing editing is what sells this film sure and just so we get our uh so the first one's 93 minutes this one is 96 minutes and the one we're about to cover is 101 minutes okay so the third one is the longer of the bunch yeah Okay. All right. Well, then, the third one. Yes, let's just call it that. The third one. This mission's important, John. I want you to come with me to help me lead the team. What do you say, John? I put in my time. What's that mean? It means my war's over. He never draws first blood. He only fights back. The first time was for himself. The second time was for his country. This time, Rambo, something went wrong. It's for his friend. Trumpin was a good man, and I'm really very sorry. You're just leaving him? What do you expect us to do? Send in a Delta team? Create an international incident? What about me? By the way you look, I can see you have no experience in war, do you? Fired a few shots. That if you're captured, we'll deny any participation or even knowledge of your existence. Sounds familiar. Who is this John Rambo? You'll find out. I know he's your friend. <laughs> but you cannot do this. You both will die. For what? Because you do it for me. What do you think this man is? God! Oh, God, we have mercy. He won't. Who are you? The worst nightmare. Stallone. Rambo 3. I'm sorry I got you into this, John. No, you're not. 
So, the third one, more commonly and appropriately known as uh, Rambo 3, is a 1988 American action film. This one, of course, is directed by Peter McDonald, and we're still co-written by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, he tag-teamed this one with Sheldon Lettich. Uh, stars Sylvester Stallone and Richard Crenna this time around. And so, like you probably heard in the trailer, and aren't these trailers just like quintessential 80s trailers? I mean, it's not exactly in a world, but... It's pretty darn close. I like how the the first one, he did it for him. And then the second one, he did it for his country. And now he's doing it for a friend. Uh, so, um, yeah. So uh, Rambo's kind of off in Tibet or Thailand or something, working at a monastery kind of a thing. And Troutman comes at him. He's like, look, man. We, I need your help. I personally need your help. I'm taking a team. We're working with CIA. We're going to go help some people in Afghanistan who are, I mean, look, dude, human rights violations. Look at the pictures. We're, we got to go fix this. And Rambo says, no, man, I'm done. He's like, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I, I, I you know, I fought my war. So Troutman goes and does his thing, and unfortunately Troutman gets caught. Uh, his entire team gets wiped out. Well, now they come back, and they tell Rambo what's happened. Rambo's like, okay, so what are y'all going to do about getting him? And they're like, nothing. You know, we can't do anything because it'll start an international incident. So Rambo's like, fine, let me go get him. And they're like, okay, you can go get him, but if anything happens, we disavow you. So... Cue the Mission Impossible theme music. And off Rambo goes. Shenanigans ensue. Alright, so the one thing I remembered about this movie that I've always loved about this movie is when he cauterizes his own wound. That was just like, I mean, in the cave. I mean, come on. That's that's some badassery on all high of badassery. Um, I just, I don't know. There's a reason why it made a respectable amount of money. It made 189 million. It was actually rumored at its at the time that the movie came out to be one of, if not the most expensive movie ever made, especially for an action movie. So it still cleaned up enough at the box office to kind of make it worthwhile. But at this point, the story's just getting old. And we're not there's no more political statements to make. Um, the the world is starting to change. We're at, in 1988. We're starting to see that the world is starting to change, especially. And the Russians pulled out of Afghanistan before yeah. the movie even came out. Yeah, the, the Russians. Have, yeah, the Russians have pulled out of Afghanistan by this point. Um, Gorbachev is starting to come around. He's actually doing the. Um, Prestoika, I think is what it's called, Prestoika, where finally, for real, tell us what is wrong with the Russian government. We will listen, and so the people were. Things are starting to change. And it's not just as simple as even three years ago when Russia bad, USA good. Not to mention, it's just kind of, there's no more dynamic left. You're just, now at this point, you're just watching Rambo go in and kick butt. Which is fine, but they still try to wrap it in a veneer of, it's more than the sum of its parts. It's not. It's just an excuse for Rambo to go fly helicopters and blow stuff up again. And it shows. Now, the movie still maintains enough action and to a, to a certain degree enough airplay, you know, with the helicopters and stuff that it remains entertaining, but only just. And so I come in at this one with a three. I can say that I liked it, but just barely. Even when I watched it back in the day, I remember, I, I, I've always remembered liking it. But that's about it. Looking back on it, now I see why. 
It's just an excuse to watch Rambo blow stuff up. And that's all. So, if that's all you want out of the movie, you're good. If you want something more, like the first two movies provided, even though the second movie was kind of playing off the first, um, you're not going to get that here. Three. Bring us home there, Tim. This one is definitely the more boring Rambo flick out of all of them, frankly. Um, Like I mentioned before, these movies are relatively short. Um, Actually, the first two movies are relatively short, is what Matt um, graciously said earlier, or revealed earlier. Normally, the movie begins, the conflict comes up, Rambo takes action, action ensues, okay? This film, action doesn't ensue until about the 40-minute mark. No joke. I I watched this movie twice, and the second time I made it a point to check the timestamp, and it was around the 40-minute mark. You know, it was around the time, uh, like, it, it was after the macho Afghan game of capture the sheep on horseback. Uh, I can't remember what that was called, but it was basically capture the sheep, capture the dead sheep on horseback. Um, and then that's when the action starts. And then when the action begins, it's pretty cool. You have another, again, another scene when Rambo is infiltrating a compound of some sort in hopes to free somebody. And this is when editing techniques are what saves a film. Or actually what creates a film. Whoever the editor is did such a great job that it would have been a totally different film if you didn't have those cuts to the cool guns or the knives. If you didn't have the cool cuts to the feet, uh, you know, the, the, the people running up and down the stairs. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in these movies that people haven't seen in action films before. Um, I didn't mention this, but in Rambo 2, there's a cool shot of when Rambo is shooting the gun and you see the bullets falling onto the ground in slow motion. Well, that's like the first time you've ever seen that happen. You know, so it it was definitely ahead of its time that you will see repeated in other, uh, not only just Sylvester Stallone movies, but in Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and Steven Seagal movies and Van Damme movies and so on and so on and so forth. Um... But with this film, the action doesn't kick in until the 40-minute mark. Um, And when it does, the movie takes off, and it's enjoyable. Peter McDonald is the director. He, of course, was the second unit director on the first film. Somebody else was hired, and after two weeks, he left the film. He just got overwhelmed by just the production, because it apparently was a very difficult production to put on in Afghanistan uh, or actually no they did I, I forgot where exactly they shot it um, but over in that region it was just very difficult to shoot in uh, so you have a second unit director that is incredibly incredibly talented has worked on a lot of fantastic films so he has a very cool visual sense to his filmmaking and you have these really cool shots um, from like from the behind of Rambo and the Colonel facing the Russian army, you know, for example, you know, where they're just these big, vast, awesome shots where only a director of this caliber can actually accomplish vast scope. And another cool shot of the film is that it's not only just vast with a bunch of people on horseback, you know, riding around, kind of like you think of Lawrence Arabia or some of the classic films from the 60s, 50s and 60s, uh, epics from the 50s and 60s. But you also have uh, the use of really neat long focus shots. And there's a long focus shot of Sylvester Stallone and, uh, and another guy on horseback being charged or excuse me, being chased by the helicopter behind them. It looks really, really cool. I mean, it looks like the helicopter is right on their tail, but really it's many yards behind them. But it was this cool use of the long focus shot. So you have these really neat slow motion action shots with these using these really cool uh, focus lenses that really gives this film a scope that would defy 80s action films to come. 
And this is why I just can't help but to like and appreciate the movie. Yes, it takes a little while to get going, but it's always visually interesting. And I appreciate the idea of Rambo enough to let certain things slide. Um, once things start getting, uh, once things start cooking with this film, I was just able to enjoy it. I just have a feeling that Peter McDonald just didn't have enough time to prepare the film. And if he did have that pre-production time and he didn't have to take over two weeks into production, it would have been a much more, I mean, it's already a palatable more, I mean, more than just a palatable, palatable film as is, but I think it would have been a better, if not great sequel, uh, probably more so than, uh, first blood part two. So again, I give it a three out of five for pure action. It's a lot of fun. And of course you do get that line, you know, who are you? Your worst nightmare. I know. Do you want to try <laughs> your, your rainbow nightmare. voice with that? Sure. Who are you? Your worst nightmare. I, I stand by that. <laughs> all right. Well, that is going to do it for us for all the flicks this week. Next week, we're going to come in and close out the series with 2008's Rambo. And, of course, 2019's Rambo Last Blood. And so without further ado, I believe it's time for the spiel. Is it not, sir? I'm your worst nightmare. Listen, I can see you guys are pretty busy. How about if I just come back later? Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at NitTwit12345. You can of course climb aboard that information superhighway and track on Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old Spotify and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support Good the show, head, thank you. Head on over to uh, Patreon.com and check us out there. So until next week, though, this is Matt saying that thanks to Richard Krenna, I get to say this. When I started in this business, who even remembers the Screen Actors Guild? Now there are 132,000. Of that number, 90-some percent make less than $7,500 per year. So the sacrifice for a young actor today become, to become a great actor is so much greater than it ever was in my time. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.